Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Shall we pray before we read from God's Holy Word? Our Father, it's always with great delight and joy in our hearts we approach the ministry of Your Word. For Your words were found and we did eat them and they're unto us the joy and the rejoicing of our heart. We thank You, our precious Father, for the Spirit of truth who You've sent to us to teach us, to guide us, and to direct us in all the truth. We thank You, dear Father God, for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds, and for the anointing upon our lives to receive of the Word. And we thank You for enlarging our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability in all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now we give ourselves over unto You and channel ourselves to receive from Your Word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 16, I just want to do a quick review, make a few more statements about what we said Wednesday, then we'll pick up from there and continue on. In Matthew 16, we read verses 21 and right on through 28. And let's just read a few verses. Let's start with 21. Matthew 16:21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father, and with his angels... And then he shall reward every man according to his works. And what we said was that these scriptures reveal to us three truths. Three important truths that give life value, meaning, purpose, and a reason for being. And I think it's of utmost importance that every individual realize that their life has value, your life has meaning, your life has purpose, and you do have a reason for living, an important reason for living. And those three truths are found here in the verses that we just read. Verse 21 said that Jesus had to be killed and raised up from the dead. So it's important we understand that for our lives to have value, meaning, and purpose, we said that Jesus had to die. If he didn't die, really, our lives would not have value, meaning, and purpose. Let's face it. Paul said, if Jesus hasn't been raised up from the dead, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's all there is to it. What purpose does our life have? So it's important we understand that. Now, we didn't pursue that. We, we pursued the next truth, and that's in verse 24, that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that's important. This truth, for our life to have value, meaning, and purpose, every individual must be actively involved in denying self daily. Taking up your cross daily and following Him daily. Daily. It's a daily thing. So it's important that we understand what He means when He says that. That's really what we're pursuing here. What does it mean to take up your cross and follow me? What does it mean to do this? And we see this truth in the teaching of the tabernacle. But then again, in verse 27, we found out that Jesus is coming again in the glory of His Father. So important. And at that time, He's going to pass out certain rewards. And I thank God that we can all have a beautiful reward awaiting us when He returns and comes again to take us unto Himself because we have denied ourselves, because we've taken up our cross, because we've followed Him. But as I said last Wednesday evening, sometimes we read over these beautiful Scriptures and, you know, we just lack understanding. I know myself included. When I first read that Scripture, when I was first saved and read through the Gospel of Matthew, I didn't know what He meant. It sounded good. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me. I mean, I didn't know the full extent of what He was talking about, you know. I had a vague idea of what he was talking about. But there's so much more involved here. See, light is progressive. It doesn't happen overnight. Light is progressive. And you're never going to learn all you know about Jesus in your lifetime that you're going to know when you get off to be with him in glory. But each day of our life, we are to progress every day, progressively become more intimately acquainted with him and grow in the light. 
Well, another thing that we said that I believe is important here, and that is that every believer is a tabernacle in the wilderness. And I'll explain that. But every believer is a tabernacle in the wilderness. I said every believer. Not just a few of us. But every individual believer is a tabernacle in the wilderness heading toward the promised land. And it's important we understand that. You know, sometimes we study these Old Testament truths and we just read about them, but we don't get the spiritual understanding of them. But as a tabernacle in the wilderness, we have been instructed of the Lord to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow Him into where? The secret chambers of the Father's will for our life. If you haven't written that down, you write that down. As an individual tabernacle, God has a perfect will for your life and my life. So consequently, I'm instructed of the Lord to deny myself, to take up my cross and follow Him where? Into the secret chambers of His perfect will for my individual life. And that is of utmost importance. And I can't emphasize it enough. Sometimes we get the whole wrong meaning out of church. Now, we could have had a nice little service here tonight. But the Lord said to me, I want you to teach. I want you to instruct my people. I want you to help and teach them and show them these truths. Because, you know, spiritual truth does not come easy. I want you to know that. Spiritual truth does not come easy. It takes waiting upon the Lord. It's not just studying it intellectually. My brothers and sisters, no. It takes waiting upon the Lord and having the Spirit of God illuminate our minds and direct our spirits so these truths can be built into our spirit, line upon line, precept upon precept, just like a mason would build a house brick by brick. And that does not come easy. So you see, you could learn a, a lot of things and gain a lot of knowledge intellectually and miss the whole picture. You're only going to find that perfect will of God for your life by entering into that secret place of the Most High where you, you dwell with your Father. And then uh, we also said that the tabernacle is a perfect type of Christ. And it teaches us how to deny ourselves, how to take up our cross, and how to follow Him. And this is so important. If we're to follow Christ, wouldn't it be good to have a perfect picture of Christ so that we could, you know, have something that we can associate with so that we can see and understand and know how to follow Him? Sometimes I think when we say follow Him, we just have a vague meaning. It means I'm just saved, so I'm following Jesus. Well, that's part of it. But there's a whole lot more to following Jesus than just being saved. And the tabernacle outlines every step every believer is to take in his or her own life so that they can follow Him. We're to follow Him in the regeneration of the Son of Man. And there are many steps. See, Jesus came from heaven to the earth by certain steps, following certain steps. But then when He left the earth, He went back to the Father, also following certain steps. And He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, so follow these steps, follow Me. And I'll take you where? To Father's house. So that's the whole, the whole thing. That's what it's all about, is following Him all the way to Father's house. Not, not in the eternal ages. I'm not talking about when you leave this body. I'm talking about now in this earth. Follow Him to the divine presence of the Father so He can reveal His perfect will for your life and you can fulfill His perfect will for your life. And I can fulfill His perfect will for my life. Why? So we can live in where? The secret place. Canaan's land. The land of plenty. See, that's why many believers never get to that place, that, that perfect land. Because they never understand how to follow step by step. And I don't know about you, but I've been praying these prayers for myself every day. I desire to be filled with the knowledge of your will, Father. I desire that more than anything in my life. To be filled with the knowledge of your will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that I may walk worthy of you. See, that's here on this earth. When you get up in the glory, don't be too concerned about that. There won't be anything to hinder your walk. That I may walk worthy of you and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in your knowledge. Amen. And that's what He wants us to do, to walk worthy of Him. And then, fourthly, we said that the tabernacle was set up so that God could dwell among His people and commune with them. And our scriptural references were... Exodus 25, verse 8. And that said that he wanted Moses to build a sanctuary so I can dwell among my people. He wants to live in and among his people. And also in Exodus 25, 22, he says, I want to commune with them. Where? Not in the outer court. 
not in the holy place, but commune with them in the holy of holies. The mercy seat, the ark of the covenant, right there. That's where I will commune with you. And as an individual tabernacle, he's talking about communing with us in our spirit. Communing with us in our spirit. There's where communion is. And too often we just stay in the outer court and sometimes start to enter into that soulish realm. And, you know, too many get caught up into emotionalism in, in that soulish realm and never take that extra step to get all the way into the holiest place of God. But we're going to learn that in-depthly. We're going to learn that, every one of us. And we're going to learn how to be so in tune with the Spirit of God, so in tune with our Father that we'll know His voice. Jesus said, you'll know my voice. My sheep, they know my voice. A stranger's voice they will not follow, but they'll follow me. Okay? Then we also said that the furniture of the tabernacle was set up in the form of a cross. And each piece represents a place where Jesus was pierced. Now, I, I, I have a out, little outline here for you, just uh, on the handout. And if you want to look at it with me very quickly, I believe it will be an aid to you, but it will help us understand some of these things because, you know, we're celebrating the Easter season and we thank God for all that Jesus did, but, you know, the average believer doesn't know in-depthly what Jesus did. We know a lot, you know, from a surface standpoint. But in-depthly, we need to know these things. We want to, the Bible says, dig deep and find out all these good treasures so that we can build a solid foundation upon a rock and, and be strong in the Lord and the power of His mind. Now, notice this here, the furniture. And you might want to just look at the other picture also. It might help you. you, you of course, you can't see a whole lot there, but on the inner sanctuary. But uh, it'll help you to follow along. Now, Jesus... is on the cross in this sanctuary or in the tabernacle. If you could see it that way in the diagram that you have here, you can see the head. Every piece of furniture is symbolic of a place where Jesus was pierced. And the ark or the mercy seat, which is up there at the head, the point of the head, is where Jesus was crowned with thorns. And really this is going to be symbolic of His coming from heaven to the earth to redeem us. He is the head of all things. We know that. But even as the head of all things, where the glory is, see, in that Ark of the Covenant and in that holy place, that most holy place, there's where the glory of God is represented. And the Bible says He stripped Himself of His glory. And He was crowned with thorns. And blood began to pour out. And so we see Him crowned with thorns. He gave up His glory. He poured Himself out that way. And then the candlestick. The candlestick is in a place where his right hand would be. And his right hand, as we know, was pierced through. And in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And he was holding out to the world the light of life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was holding that out to the world. Well, Philippians says, we also shine as lights in this world. But when he was here, he says, I am the light of the world. And so he was holding out to the world the light of life. And that was symbolic of his right hand. And he poured that out to the world. He was pierced there. And then his left hand is where the table of showbread is. And John 6, 48 through 51, you know, we're not going to take time to read all the scriptures, but he says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. Once again, it's symbolic of him coming down from heaven to pour himself out. And he poured himself out as the bread of life. He says, you must eat of my flesh in order for you to have life. And so he poured himself out. He was pierced in that hand also. And then the brazen altar is where his feet touch the earth. He is the righteous judge. It stands for righteous judgment. And it's a picture of standing on brass. In Revelation 1.15, when, when the apostle John was caught up into the glory world, he saw Jesus appear unto him, and he saw his feet shining just as, as, like a flaming fire, like brass in a burning furnace. But again, brass is a type of judgment also type of judgment. And of course, he came and the prince of this world was judged. And of course, we know that his feet were also pierced. But then the last two we have that we didn't leave them out, but we put them last because I believe it's very important. The altar of incense, which is symbolic of his heart, where his heart is. And of course, the, the golden labor is symbolic of his belly or the innermost being. And of course, we have here the blood, the, the, pump, the heart that pumps the blood. 
and we have the belly, His innermost being, the water of life. And He says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And when He was pierced, He was pierced through. John 19.34 says, out of, When He was pierced, out of His side came forth what? Blood and water. Blood and water. So they pierced Him through His innermost being. I mean, he, when, it's the, when the Bible says He poured Himself out unto death, I mean, He poured Himself out unto death in totality. Everything that He had, He gave Himself a ransom for many. What a beautiful picture we have here of Jesus leaving the glory world, coming to pour Himself out. And everywhere we see a piece of furniture laid out in the tabernacle, we know Jesus was pierced there. And you notice there are seven really pieces of furniture here. And seven in Bible numerology means perfection. It means perfection. So we have a perfect plan here. And then, of course, next we said that the tabernacle also teaches us how to approach God. And each part of the tabernacle represents a specific truth that finds its fulfillment in Christ. And you can see that I listed there for you, the tabernacle parts. The door, this teaches us how to approach God. Jesus had to approach the Father. Remember when He was raised up from the dead and He appeared to Mary there in the garden and he, or by the tomb there and He said to her, Don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. He had to go to the Father with His own blood and He proceeded to go forth and He became the way to the Father, the truth and the life. Well, we see here that everything that's mentioned in the tabernacle, Jesus is a type of and He fulfills that. The door teaches us that there is only one way to God. And Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. And then again in the next piece of furniture here we're going to see our next part of the tabernacle is the brazen altar and that brazen altar and you can just you can look at it you can look at it here in your picture it might help you out but the brazen altar is where they had to go and wash and it's symbolic of the fact that i'm sorry the brazen altar is where the sacrifice was was offered unto unto jehovah and we said that supernaturally uh, fire came down out of heaven to burn up that sacrifice and that's where it teaches us that substitution is necessary to approach the father so it's Necessary that substitution be made to atone for our sins. And Jesus said in Mark 10:45 that He's given His life a ransom for many. And we know there are many other places other than that. Like in Peter, it says that, that He gave His life a ransom for us. We've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb, as a Lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world for us, for you and me. And so, again, we see here Jesus as being the brazen altar, upon the brazen altar. And then the labor. We have the, the labor which teaches us that purification is needed for God's presence. This is so important, beloved, because this is going to teach us, if you'll follow this, and I mean follow this. I know a lot of times, you know, you hear a lot of teachers talk about certain uh, formulas or certain principles to follow. And I, don't, I just don't see how you can get away from it. You try, you try to take away formulas and principles away from the, the old covenant. You try to take away one thing that, that Jehovah told Moses to do and Aaron to do. And I'm going to tell you something. You died. If you start fooling around with holy things, with knowledge, with understanding, and you misused holy things under that covenant, you died. And that's all there was to it. And I'm going to show you an example of that as we go along. But you died. The holy things of God are holy. And they're to be reverenced and respected among men. And that's all there is to it. So this may not be, if you want to call it a formula, that's okay, or a principle, whatever it is. But this is a way to approach the Father God. And if we'll follow these step by step and respect each step and really get spiritual understanding as to what each step represents, beloved, you'll find yourself in the holies of holies. And I don't just, I'm not just talking about just a, a goosebump feeling like I said before. I'm talking about that place of the holy of holies where you will be more conscious of spiritual things than you are of physical things. Now, just for an example, I remember when I was at school and Brother Hagin was teaching on love. He was teaching from his book, Growing Up Spiritually. He was talking about being in the Father's presence and about how the Father loves you. And I remember sitting there in, in that auditorium just with everybody else, about 1,000 uh, to 1,200 students there. And I was just sitting there just, you know, uh, enjoying it just like anybody else would. You know, wanting to learn just like a sponge, wanting to get everything I can and soak it on up. And I was just sitting there when all of a sudden he said, Now look at this scripture. And it was John 16:27. For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and believe that I came out from God. And I looked at that scripture, I read that scripture, and the moment my eyes fastened upon that scripture, it just seemed like to me, now, it wasn't a vision and it wasn't a dream, but it seemed like, it wasn't a trance, but it seemed like it. It seemed like to me that that scripture jumped off the page 
And it seemed like as I sat there, I was aware of what was going on around me, but I was lifted to another spiritual plane. I was lifted to a place of, of, of spirituality that it seemed like I was more conscious of spiritual things than I was of natural things, and I was more aware of Father's presence than I was of the people that were around me. I was just so caught in it. I just began to weep before the Lord, sitting there by myself. I didn't care what anybody thought. Like I said, I heard some voices. I could hear them like in a distant background. But I was just so caught up in the presence of the Father. I knew I was right before His throne. It was like He was saying, I love you. Son, I love you. I had a revelation of the Father's love. It's just, just so profound, so beautiful in my life. It just overwhelmed me. And you know, it lasted until almost the class was over. I didn't know what anybody else did. They just kept on with the teaching. But beloved, the Holy Ghost taught me love right there. Oh, hallelujah. The Holy Ghost taught me love right there. I was just so caught up in it. And I just, oh, I just, I can't explain it with words. Spiritual things are very difficult to explain with our own words. So it's important we allow the Spirit of God to teach us and instruct us and witness to our spirit these deep truths. But we can enter into that place. We can get to that place where we're more conscious of the spiritual realm than we are the physical realm. We don't lose control of ourselves, but we're more conscious of it. And the Father wants us to live there. Amen. Amen. So the labor teaches us that purification is needed for God's presence. In John 13, 8, Jesus said, now this is important, Jesus said, see, the door is the way of salvation. We're saved, but we don't stop there, beloved. We don't stop at the door, at the gate there enter into salvation, that's not enough. Too many believers stop right there and live in the outer court. God don't want that. They go on. Find out what that blood stands for. The sacrifice of Jesus. The labor means we wash ourselves in the water of His Word. We wash our hands and we wash our feet. Our hands are for service. Our feet is for our walk. And if you think about it, isn't that the ministry of the Holy Ghost? The walk is the walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that true? The believer's walk is in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And His hands are for service Service, and for service you need what? Power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you, and you shall what? Be witnesses for me. Service. So that's a twofold ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit within and the Spirit upon. To walk, walk in His love, and to minister by His Spirit in the power of the Spirit. Amen. So then the next one is the lamps. A lamp, the lamps. Well, Jesus said in John 13, 8 first. Let me read that. John 13, 8. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Remember Peter said, don't wash me, Lord. That's all right. Don't wash my feet. No, I'm not worthy of that. He said, if I don't wash you, Peter, you've got no part in me. And what's he saying to us right here? Beloved, as an individual believer, not just because I'm your pastor or I'm the minister or whatever, this Bible, getting that word and getting me washed in the water of his word is not only for me. I'm just here as a gift to help you in reality by the Spirit. Because I have to do it. I may be anointed to minister to you, but you know, I'm not anointed to live this life. I have to live this life like you do. Same way. Get in my Bible and study it for myself. Pray for myself. There's no freebies, even if you're called to the ministry. No freebies. Forget it. Amen. So you see here, he's saying you need to be washed in the water of his word. And if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And many want to stop right there. Oh, I need to study the word. Let the preacher do that. No, no, no. You have to study God's word. And you have to apply God's word to your life. Amen. If you're going to be successful. Okay. Then the lamps. Now, this is so important because when you get in, inside the holy place. Now, the lamp is inside the holy place. You see it, you know, in another section of the tabernacle. And there's no sunlight there. There's no sunlight whatsoever. It's a covering over top. There's no sunlight. There's, the only light that's in there is the lamp stand. And that lamp stand is really one shaft of gold in the middle it's a beaten work and six, like a candelabra, shafts shooting out. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of perfection. And we see Jesus on the sixth day, you see, God made man. And then seventh day, he rested. And he wants man to enter into his rest. And that was a beaten work for man to get to that place. This is talking about the light of the resurrection, the light of the redemptive work of Christ. And in that place is no sunlight, which is symbolic of natural knowledge. In that place is only the illuminating light of the Spirit. The illuminating light of the Spirit revealing to us by the renewing of our minds the purpose, the plan, and the will of God in redemption. So you see, we need light there. Illumination is needed to do the work of God. And you can't get that. Illumination does not come. You see, just because you hear about spiritual truths, it is you allowing the Spirit to teach it to you in your spirit. Then you, it's, it's part of your life. Your mind is renewed. See, I can't get your mind renewed for you. You can't get my mind renewed for me. That's impossible. 
It's my responsibility to get my mind renewed for myself. That's my reasonable service. That's my responsibility. Okay. And in John 8, 12, once again, Jesus is the light of the world. Now, notice also the bread of life. This is, teaches us and is symbolic of the fact that sustenance is needed for God's people. And again, Jesus said in John 6, 48, 51, I am the bread of life. And then incense. The altar of incense is symbolic of the fact that intercession is needed for God's people. Well, Romans 8, 34, Jesus, Jesus is ever living to do what? To make intercession for us. He ever lives and we thank him for that. Then there is the veil. Symbolic of the fact that there is a separation between God and his people. There is a separation. Now, as we said before, that this veil is there before the holy place and there's no door. There's no way of entrance into that holy place. There's just a veil that's four inches thick. A heavy veil, 20 feet high. Very, you know, thick. Well, then how did the high priest... Now, see, no one can go in that holy place, only the high priest. And he had to go with great precaution. He had to have a, uh, an offering for sin. And if he, did, if he wasn't there any other way, any improper way, he died when he, came in, you know, when he went into the divine presence of the Father. But how did he get in there? Well, as we said here, there was no door. Well, it was believed that they were translocated supernaturally. I know that may sound, you know, far-fetched. And, and if you just don't learn about spiritual things, and it may sound that way to you. But didn't Peter get translocated after he led the eunuch to Jesus? Didn't he baptize him in water, get caught up in the spirit and was translocated to another city? Well, can you imagine in that holy place when he's doing God's service there at the altar of incense, which is a type of a sweet-smelling savor unto God, the sacrifice that he is offering to him, that God just sucked him right in and brought him right into the holy place, right through the veil, took him in, translocated supernaturally. And when you went in there, when you got in there, beloved, you better you know, be prepared. <laughs> you better be ready. So you see, this teaches us how to approach God. Now, there's a veil that separates us from our God. You know what that veil is? Our flesh. The Bible says to be absent from the body to be present with who? So there's a veil. Isn't that right? But if we get enough in the Spirit and in that place where you leave that holiest and start to enter into the, the spiritual worship of God, then we're going to talk about this. The spiritual worship of God, you know, he can just slip you right up into glory. What do you think happened to Paul, John? They got caught up in the spiritual realm. That's where they had their dreams and visions. It's in that place that we have those manifestations in the holiest place. And too many want to stay in the soulish realm, see, and not get over to that spiritual realm. And then, you know, we could, we could, have, uh, we could have danger in that, in that place, you know, or sometimes we just stop short. Next, we have the mercy seat. And that mercy seat uh, teaches us that only blood can atone for sin. In 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And that word propitiation really means the mercy seat. He's our mercy seat. Thank God for Jesus. Hallelujah. He's our mercy seat. And then there is a priest. We know about the priest. Now, the priest had to, you know, be properly attired. He had to have a blood sacrifice. And it represents or is symbolic of the fact that God cannot be approached other than through representation. We can't go there by ourselves. We cannot go to Father's presence by ourselves. We have no right to be there by ourselves. But through representation, we can approach Him. Through representation, we can go there. So who is our Lord High Priest who's ever there living to make intercession for us and also to represent us to the Father? Jesus. Jesus represents us to the Father. And uh, we didn't... Really look at this. Look at the scriptures there in Hebrews chapter 4. I think we just got cut off and missed some, which is why I took the time to get most of this, you know, set again. But look at Hebrews chapter 4. See, these scriptures mean more than what we get out of them from the surface, beloved. 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or confession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. See, now we can come. You see that? Now we can come. Now let us come. See, you say, well, I've done that. I know, we've all done that in a limited sense. You see what I'm saying? Limitedly. And when we get the insight in the realm of the Spirit and see Jesus at the Father's right hand, representing me, you, and all of us. That gives us a holy boldness to go into the Father's presence by the blood of the Lamb for what purpose? To obtain mercy. 
to receive grace to help in our time of need. And I'll tell you what, you'll find out when you really learn this, you won't be going there largely to get your need met. You'll be going there to fellowship and to love Him. Such a beautiful place. A place that you'll never want to leave. You'll get a taste of it, a touch of it, and I guarantee you by God's holy word, you won't want to leave it. Oh, it's a beautiful high in Jesus. A beautiful realm in the Spirit. We thank God for that. Well, now, let's go on. And uh, it's important for us to look at some other scriptures so that we can carry this a little bit further. Now, that's more or less a review of what we talked about. Go to 2 Corinthians with me, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, what, chapter 5? Let's, let's look at chapter 5. And uh, just to save a little bit of time while you're t- turning there, find also 1 Peter, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just put your bookmarker if you have one there and one of the two scriptures there in 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 5 first. Let's begin reading at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle. Now, notice that word. Underline that. If our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle... Do groan, being burdened. You know your body's a burden? How many of you know your body's a burden? Largely, it produces condemnation. Oh, yeah. See, the, 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 the body has not been regenerate. It's not been changed. So it becomes a burden to us. But it's also called our tabernacle. And it corresponds with the tabernacle in the wilderness. And really, if you'll see this clearly, we'll begin to see that the tabernacle that was in the wilderness is a perfect type of the believer's life in Christ. The believer's life in Christ is also outlined by the tabernacle in the wilderness. And we'll see how we're a portable tabernacle, just like that was a portable tabernacle. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, Not for that we would be unclothed. In other words, not that we die, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. And what he's saying is, I want the life of Christ that's in my spirit to swallow up this fleshly life. I want it to swallow up this life in the flesh. I want the light that's in my spirit to be manifest through me so that it's no longer I living, but Christ is really living his life through me. And that's what we're groaning for. Now look at what Peter said about the same thing. Peter mentions the same thing about his body being a tabernacle. His body being a tabernacle. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle. What's he talking about? The tabernacle of his flesh, of his body. To stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. See, the Lord showed him how he was going to put off his tabernacle. He showed him how he was going to die. You remember there in John, John's Gospel, when uh, Jesus appeared to them when they were fishing and they didn't have any catch and and he cooked for them and, and, and they sat down to meet with him and they ate with him? And he said to him that he was going to die by stretching out his hands, be crucified like Jesus was. Sure. He showed him how he was going to put off that tabernacle. And Peter knew that. He remembered that. So he calls his body also that tabernacle. So before I expound on that a little further, hold that thought there. He's talking about the tabernacle of his body corresponding to the tabernacle in the wilderness. And that tabernacle teaches us some things. Not only does it teach us how to approach God, it teaches us how to live for God. 
And uh, it teaches us how to worship God. It teaches us how to enter into God's rest. Don't miss that statement. This tabernacle teaches us how to enter into God's rest. That's every believer's desire, should be. Every believer's goal should be to enter into Canaan's land. If not, we're not really pursuing or following Christ. That should be our desire. Well, we're not going to get there by praying long hours. See, some think, well, if I just pray long enough, I'll get there. No, beloved. It's a, it's a combination of prayer and the Word. It's a working together. It's a revelation. It's, it's putting in reality all that Jesus stands for. In Him we live. We begin to live. In Him we begin to move. In Him we begin to have our being in reality. Then we enter into that sphere or that realm. See? And the tabernacle teaches us how to do it. That's why it comes by knowledge. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That's how grace and peace is multiplied. Grace being God's ability to move on our behalf and peace. Hallelujah. Being that state of total prosperity. Spirit, soul, body, finances, every which way. That's what he takes us into. And uh, Peter knew that. So let's, let's go on by saying that uh, this tabernacle is a perfect type of the individual's life in Christ. And it corresponds to the spirit, soul, and body of the man, of the individual in Christ. And uh, you might want to just write that down, and I, I didn't have time to really get some of these other notes put, put together for you. But if you see your picture here, the tabernacle, you're going to find the outer court. You could just write in there, or maybe it would be better to do it on the cross. The bottom section says the, this is the outer court. It's symbolic of the outer courtyard, but it's a type of the body of man. And then you're going to have the holy place where you've got your three pieces of furniture in there, the, the lampstand, the table of showbread, and you've got the altar of incense. And that's the soul of man. You can write soul in there. And then, of course, you've got the Ark of the Covenant, which is the head where all things exist, from whom all things exist, the head, even Christ, and that's the spirit of man. That's the spirit of man. So we see we've got the body of man, we've got the soul of man, and we've got the spirit of man. In him we live, you could write down there in the outer court. In him we move, you can write that in the holy place. In him we have our being, a reason for existence in the spiritual realm. Jesus said, I am the way, that's the way into the outer court. I am the truth, that's over there. See the truth, the illuminating truth, that's in that soulless realm, or that is in this holy place. And then I am the life, that's in that spiritual realm. That's in that most holy place. The way, the truth, and the life. Spirit, soul, and body. In Him I live and move and have my being. Well, let's just start by saying that, that uh, the body houses the soul and spirit. The body houses the soul and the spirit and is representative of what God set forth in the wilderness, the portable tabernacle. Do you see that? The body houses the soul and the spirit and is representative of what was set forth in the wilderness. In that wilderness, there was a portable tabernacle. And the outer part where they had the tent, like, well, on the outer part they had to set up so that they could have a courtyard, just like pitching a tent. And that inner court would just be called the body or our flesh. So you see that corresponds. And it's sad to say, but there's where a lot of uh, believers end up staying, right there in that outer courtyard. We're right out there and, and we're more fleshly. The Corinthian church was a perfect example of that. Paul said you're carnal. He says you're carnal-minded. You're yet carnal. There's strife. There's division. There's envy. You've not learned to control your temper. You know, you, everything that you do is carnal. You walk as a mere man. What's he talking about? They're not mere men. They're not, you know, unregenerate people. They're born again, but they're living in the outer court. Oh, yes, they prophesy and they speak with other tongues and they have gifts working. But still, in spiritual growth and spirituality, they're living in the outer court. They've not yet gained the knowledge or the understanding of entering into the holy place and then the most holy. He says you're carnal. So you're being led or 
by the senses, or a better way to say it, is your body ruled. You don't mind the things of God as you should. Your body ruled. You're being ruled by your, your senses, your emotions. Then we can say that the soul is or houses the personality or the intellect. The soul houses the personality or the intellect. And that's all of us. Yours and mine. It houses our personality, our intellect. Amen. And some of us have a problem in that area because I know personally that many times the, the way an individual is before he gets saved, just because he gets saved doesn't mean his personality is going to change a whole lot. He may clean up his act, but the personality has got to be worked on. I, myself, I, I find myself praying this all the time. Father, when I go up to that pulpit, I don't want anybody to see anything that's not of Jesus. Please, make the necessary changes in my life. Because we all have personality hang-ups, characteristics that sometimes could rub people the wrong way. And I'm so conscious of that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to offend anybody by my actions or by what I say and, and things like that. And so, you see, it's important. And some just don't take the effort or the initiative to do anything about their personality. And I think it's important. I know it's important. You never get into a place in God. If you're easily angered, you better do something about it because it'll keep you out of the most holy place. Put anger far from you. If uh, you don't, uh, you know, walk in love and it was hard for you to forgive, say, before you got saved, that's part of your you know, make up your personality. Maybe you easily get offended and you hold grudges. Well, see, if, if you did that before you got saved, there's a tendency to do that after you get saved. Because the, the new birth is not in your soulish realm. The new birth is in your spiritual realm. You become a new creation in Christ. So if you don't do something about that, those characteristics and those traits, those personality traits, they won't change. That will keep a person out of the holy place. So you see, we're working on our own tabernacle. We're working on our own life and in our own life. God is ever at work in us to do what? To change us into the image of His Son, isn't He? Ever at work within us to change us. And if we don't allow Him to change us and to do that, we'll never change. We'll be born again, yes. But just as carnal, just as carnal, saved but carnal, just like the Corinthians were. And uh, a very important thought here, this soul houses the personality and the intellect and it represents the fact that our minds must, everybody say must, be renewed to the Word of God. Look at the scripture that, to help us with that area. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Colossians chapter 3. Well, we'll start with verse 1. In verse 1, Paul says to the church at Colossae, if ye then be risen with Christ, and we have been, seek those things which, be, which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection or your mind. Do you see that? Set your mind on things which be above. Set your mind, my margin of my Bible says mind, your affections. Set your mind, and really that word set there means to exercise the mind. You know, we know how to exercise the body. But little of us have learned how to exercise the mind. Our mind needs to be exercised. Our mind is not saved. Our mind needs to be saved. It needs to be changed. It needs to be renewed. And that is a process. That is not something that happens instantaneously. It is a process. It takes time. And it's not an easy process. It takes time. It takes diligence. It takes work. It takes effort. Amen. And, and it's something we have to practice. So we need to set our minds. Our spirit, the third part of it, you could write soul there in that holy place, and then spirit in the most holy place. Our spirit, you ready for this? Houses the Ark of the Covenant, or the glory of God, or the person of Christ. Our spirit is the real man and houses the person of Christ. The glory of God. And it's representative of the divine presence or the throne of God. Now, in that Ark of the Covenant, we have three articles. 
In that Ark of the Covenant, you had Aaron's rod that budded. You had the golden pot of manna in there. And you had the tables of stone. Now, I want you to notice that's in the Spirit. In the Spirit, which is being in Christ, Christ in, in us, inside our human spirit. And what that is representative of is, number one, Aaron's rod that budded, resurrection. Resurrection power. Paul says, I want to know the power of your resurrection. That's in the spirit. That's, you won't get that in the soul. You see that? You won't get that in the soul's realm. You can get that in the spiritual realm. Aaron's rod that budded, the power of the resurrection. The golden pot, well, let's, let's do that last. The tables of stone are in there. That is the fulfilled law. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in love and fulfill the, royal, fulfill the law. The law is fulfilled in love. Love is the walk of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's in the Spirit. That's, we see, you can't walk in the Spirit by the soul. You just can't do it. It's walking in the Spirit. And it's in the Spirit that that law of Moses is fulfilled. And then thirdly, and this is so important, you have the golden pot of manna. And that's symbolic of divine sustenance for divine life. Divine life does not come in the soulless realm either. Divine life comes in the spiritual realm. Hallelujah. You're feeding on spirit. Resurrection power you're experiencing in the spirit. Hallelujah. The word of life. God's word becomes life to your spirit and health and all your flesh in that realm, in that place. Now, every child of God then becomes a portable tabernacle carrying the Ark of the Covenant to the Promised Land. Now, that statement just once over may just fly right on by. But listen to that again. Every child of God then becomes... The Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle, rather, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Every child of God, every believer becomes the tabernacle. Carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the promised land. Now, when you think about this, it'll help us out. Explicit instruction was given as to how that Ark of the Covenant was to be carried when they moved it. Explicit instruction was given as to how they were to carry that Ark of the Covenant whenever they moved it. What's he talking about? Well, the Ark of the Covenant is in who? You and me. That Ark of the Covenant is representative of Jesus Christ. And because it's symbolic of Christ, they had to move it with great precaution. And if they moved it improperly or improperly handled it or did things improperly as pertaining to the holy things of the Ark of the Covenant and of God, then they died prematurely. They died prematurely. Now, that is symbolic of this one fact. We all have our own ministry. I don't want this to escape us. I want just do some serious thinking right now. Get a hold of what I'm saying. Every believer is a tabernacle carrying the Ark of the Covenant. That means you're carrying Jesus in you, the Ark of the Covenant. And it means you have been given, I have been given, and are given explicit instruction as to how to carry Jesus in us while we're walking through this wilderness. You see that? That's our earth life. Improper use or improperly carrying the Ark of the Covenant resulted in premature death. See, it's, it's, it's showing us you have your part to play, I have my part to play. Now, let's go back to John when I said I'll explain that. When Peter said to Jesus, see, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to put off your tabernacle this way. And you know what Peter said to Jesus? What about John? What about him? What's he going to do? You know what Jesus said to Peter? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. 
Take up your cross and do what? Follow me. Follow me. See, Peter learned that. It doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing. It doesn't matter what so-and-so... This is very personal. This is very personal and intimate between you and your loving Father. He wants to commune with us in the holies of holies. And He wants to share with us, to teach us, show us, instruct us as to what He wants us to do in carrying the Ark of the Covenant or the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. Philippians 2, we read that. Let's go there real quick. and, and you're, you're nearby anyhow. Just go back a few pages there. Philippians 2. Every believer is to follow after Jesus. And notice he said in, in, in Philippians 2, in verse 12. Because we're carrying such a holy covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, we need to take great precaution. And he said here, Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. One of my most favorite scriptures when I first got saved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know why many fail to grow in Christ? They're always trying to work out somebody else's salvation. You know how many want to work out my salvation? I don't like what you preach. Why don't you change what you're preaching and say this and say that? Listen, listen, I have to work out my own salvation. I am responsible to Father God. And I know that Father God and I have a hotline. We talk to one another. I have to do what Father God says for me to do. Now, on the other hand, you've got to do what Father God says for you to do. And we need to be concerned about our own salvation and work out our own salvation. You have a man sitting back there in that sound booth over there. And when he first started to come to this, to this assembly, it's just an example. While I'm saying this, let's read the next before I say that. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, that is, through your life. Why? Well, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights, just like Jesus did in the world, holding forth like Jesus did the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, I want to show you how Peter knew this before we get to our brother back there. Look at over there in, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, another favorite scripture of mine. I've got so many favorite scriptures. Oh, I just love God's holy word. Don't you love it? 1 Peter chapter 4. Now notice this. In verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold or varied grace of God. Each one has his or her own part. Each one will be anointed to do his or her own part. Each one will have to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling and take your part in the body of Christ. And it's not always someone's going to reveal things to you supernaturally. God will go to him. He'll show you. Now look at the next verse. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. God wants to be glorified in your life. He does not want your flesh to get in the way. He does not want my flesh to get in the way. God wants to be glorified. No flesh shall touch the holy things of God. People that are standing in offices of, of this office right here, pastor, teacher, that are not called to be there in this generation, beloved, they're dying. You know why? They're doing it in the flesh if they're not called. If they're not called, they're touching the Ark of the Covenant improperly. As every man hath received the gift. And you know what? You don't have to persuade somebody to, 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 to tell you what you're supposed to do. When our brother first started coming to this ministry, he knew inside his spirit he'd be working with our sound technician. He never came to my door and knocked on my door and says, now, now, brother pastor, God told me. No, he knew it down deep in his heart. You know what? He did exactly what he's supposed to do. Let God work it out. And if you go back and follow it out, step by step, who went to you? We went to him and asked him. And that's exactly the way God will do it. Do you see that? That's the way God will do it. If we start to pursue the will and purpose and plan of God for our lives, then God will do the speaking and God will do the working out. When the Lord told me to come be pastor of this church, he told me that. 
I didn't come down here and blurt it out and tell everybody that God told me that. No, he worked it out. He worked it out. Don't ever go toot your own horn. Because, you see, when that happens, you start touching the things of God. And I'm going to show you something here. You die. You'll die prematurely. You go, look, at, look at Numbers chapter 4 real quick, and I'll show you that. Numbers chapter 4. Verse 17. Numbers chapter 4, verse 17. And uh, we'll read 17 right on through 19, 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint them, every one to his service and to his burden. See, here's part of our service for the Lord. We all have our own service for the Lord. And we all should be involved in doing our own service for the Lord. Because when you start doing service for the Lord, holy things come into play. In the next verse, but they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. Now, real quickly, go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 6. First Samuel 6 and verse 6. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6. And when they came to Nation's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to, to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his heir, and there he died by the ark of God. David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name. Now, let's stop there. Notice this. He wasn't really doing anything that was all that wrong. But they were instructed as to how they were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And when David was bringing that Ark of the Covenant back home from the Philistines, they were supposed to move it properly and follow the instructions that God gave to Moses. That's why I said you follow step by step. You follow explicit instructions as to how you carry the Ark of God, which is inside you and inside me. I need to follow those instructions for my life, and you need to follow those for your life. Well... This fellow saw something happening that was wrong, and he tried to get out there, he tried to do something right, but no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. And he touched that ark, which represents the presence of God. He intruded into a wrong office, so to speak, into a wrong ministry, and because he did that, he died. He died right there. David got upset about it. But you see, that's just, that's the first time that that ever happened. It was, one of the, it was the first time, really, that, that it was ever, the law was broken. And so, consequently, that's what happened to him. He died. Now, let's put that back into our, in, in, in our life. And in, in, if i got one more minute, Romans 12, real quick. I, I, we can quote it to you, but look at it real quick. Romans chapter 12. Every individual believer is instructed in God's Word as what he is supposed to do with his own tabernacle, how he is supposed to use his tabernacle, what he's supposed to do in that tabernacle so that that tabernacle can be used for God in a constructive way, the way God wants it to be used. And you don't start by getting off into a ministry somewhere. You start right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now notice, we are tabernacles. We've got the Ark of the Covenant inside of us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, which is your tabernacle, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart 
that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.